0: modes of thought in interran literature. Second year classics, Harvard University. Did you hear anything from Raquel? The last time I talked to her, I i don't know, something was happening. Chris told me you thought she got kidnapped. Well, okay, that's hyperbole. I'm not sure exactly what I heard. We were on the phone and she said she thought someone might take her, and then there was some kind of incident. I called over there this morning. She was in a group, so I didn't talk to her, but she's definitely there. Hmm. Okay, good, that's, that's good. Yeah, I think it's the right place for her right now. Yeah, you're probably right. But but she is there. Definitely. Okay, that's right. I mean, kind of. Uh, hey, can you do me a quick favor? Uh, I printed out a bunch of stuff for class today. Uh, can you run to my office and grab them? They're, they're on the big gray file cabinet, the one just to the right of the door. You need them. Well, I printed them out for today and, I don't know, seems like if a tree gave their life for knowledge, we should, you know, honor that. (laughs) Okay, okay, I'll be back in minutes. Thank you. No problem. Okay, well, let's get started. Today, we're gonna talk about health and medicine in third empire and terra. Not that there were huge changes from second empire and terra, but that could just be lack of evidence. Let's start off with a basic understanding of how we try to investigate medicine in prehistory, okay? Now, the primary evidence of prehistoric medicine is biological material, right? For instance, one of the things we always look at when we find ancient remains, is evidence of damage, broken bones for instance, and the growth of the bones which can reveal nutrition issues. And we look for cause of death, of course. We we look for that too. Very CSI. Uh, as we know all too well in Antara, there is zero biological material because of the entire civilization being at the bottom of the ocean, right? So <clears throat> Hold on, I'm tearing up a little bit. So we don't have that evidence for Antera. Now the most notable version of biological evidence of prehistoric surgery is something called trepanning. This was the surgical removal of a part of the skull. You can see images of this, it's pretty wild. People would cut holes in the skulls of their fellows in some attempt at healing them of various maladies, and the skulls we found with this procedure show that the patients lived for quite a long time after the surgery. This practice was seen in Europe, Africa, South America and Peru, most commonly in South America, but also in various other ancient societies there were people walking around with literal holes in their heads. Even weirder than that is that trepanning still has advocates today. (laughs) It's super wild, especially in the psychedelic 60s, the advent of alternative medicine got some people excited about drilling holes in their heads. This one man, Peter Halverson, drilled a hole In his forehead by himself with a drill that he operated with his foot and he's still around and still says that it's a viable method for helping to deal with depression. I'm going to point out multiple times during today's talk that there's no evidence to support that. Feel free to read up on it. Do not drill a hole in your head. Don't do that. So He actually also introduced the idea um, of trepanning to this folk singer named Julie Felix. And she sings a song about the practice called Brain Blood Volume. It's not good. It is not a good song, but it's very entertaining, so uh, I'll throw a link up on the site. Again, this hopefully goes without saying but there is no evidence that this practice has any benefits. So please do not drill holes in your heads. I'm really, I'm I'm very serious about this. I'm on thin ice enough with the administration and that would just do it. So, you know, don't, don't. Okay. Geophagy. This is another thing not to do. Geophagy, is ingesting natural materials such as dirt or clay in an attempt to fix some health problem. There's various evidence of this in cave paintings, and the practice still exists in various cultures to different extents, the chagas in Tanzania, for instance. There are several instances in urban South Africa today, it doesn't help, but in some cases it will make you sick and after you throw up you may feel better. and. You know, since you've stopped barfing, you might assume, oh, now this, this has been good for me. That could have been enough in prehistoric settings to be considered medicinal. Um, there's a thought out there that eating dirt or clay might be a good way to get minerals that you need, especially if you're pregnant. That sounds like something that might make sense, but again, don't, don't do that eat healthy food you'll get all the minerals you need and it works great <coughs> okay so what do we see in Antera that points towards the medical mem isoka that's the name that comes up apparently mem isoka is sort of the hippocrates of Antera, which is why i wrote down this quote from hippocrates Um, Wherever the art of medicine is loved, there is also a love of humanity. This is a very Baroque way of saying something that I've always posited, that compassion is the first hallmark of civilization. And this is pretty close to what we have discovered on the wall of a chamber off the side of the central palace and prime A. Now, this is where we would think to look for a hospital, right? The upper echelon of society is usually the center of learning because they're not busy working in the fields or what have you. And cultures often prioritize the health of their leadership, probably because death of the leaders brings instability, and with it, coups, power struggles, etc. cetera. Not good for the culture at large. And here, in what seems to be the medical wing of the palace structure, we find a main hall with an inscription above the door that is attributed to Mem Isoka, until we sleep again, your pain is my pain. To me, this is the ultimate in compassion. Empathy might be a better word. And it's certainly way better than Hippocrates, you know, first, do no harm, right? I mean, that's a pretty low bar. Is Hirong back with those printouts? Yep. Here you go. Great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. Can you guys pass these around? In this main hall here, the center of the floor plan on your map we have many carvings on the walls per usual right and um, while I haven't gotten translations for most of these uh, my last contact with our friends at Beijing University implied that these were rudimentary recipes for various ailments different plants and animal parts to be combined for certain symptoms no word on their efficacy uh, and nothing particularly new or shocking, really, except, except this. There are several rooms off the main chamber. These could be hospital rooms, though they seem to be fairly private, which would make sense I guess if all the clientele is the ruling class, but these are very small rooms. So yeah, we're not, we're not sure. And then there's this larger room down here, right? This one. This room juts out and has two entrances from the outside of the central palace, opening onto the square where the Matoka ritual is performed. So, okay, there's some connection between the hospital and the Matoka ritual but that's not hard to fathom, right? Since the ritual involves cutting off a finger and everyone who goes through the ritual is necessarily in need of cementing. There's a reference to cauterization. You guys know what cauterization is? Right, yes, the burning of the wound in order to stop the bleeding. So yeah, if cutting off your finger doesn't seem to be gnarly enough, then add burning the bloody stump And now you have a recipe for a real good time. Several ancient medical practices, those of Mesopotamia, Egypt, and China, for instance, considered ill health to be an indication of divine dissatisfaction. I.e., if you were sick, it's because you'd pissed off one of the gods and you'd done something wrong. Uh, I, I honestly think this is the root of conspiracy theories we saw during the pandemic, and it's hubris, right? Sheer, unadulterated hubris. If something bad happens, it must be because something either I did, or better yet, something someone else did. It can't just be bad luck, or, or biology, or the mysterious workings of a universe that seeks mutation and change no nope it has to be something that someone could control it's sheer egocentrism and it's idiotic and and that concept didn't really pass out of favor until the industrial revolution and even now it's baked into our consciousness if we get sick we think what did i do to deserve this right so this is a non-causal relationship between our own actions and our health, and they seem to be just hardwired into us. Like I said, it's probably because of the innate egocentricism of being a human in a body. We are the center of our own universe as we perceive it. So clearly it's our fault. I'm glad to say I don't believe that because These migraines I've been getting over the last year are gnarly and I would have to be a terrible person to deserve that kind of agony. What? Oh, you too? Yeah. It's awful, right? Okay, so there's not a lot of information that we have yet on how the gods affected people's health. One god that's mentioned on the walls of this, well, we're going to keep calling it a hospital, is Horquana. If you recall, Horquana is the god of sameness, which is unique to Entera as far as I know. But if you translate this as balance instead of sameness, there are some possible similarities to Chinese medical practices. The notion that the body needs to be balanced between the yin and the yang, or sickness results. I gotta be honest, I have spent zero time reading up on the history of Chinese medicine, so I'm super uninformed here. Any anybody know more about this stuff than me? Anyone? Yeah. I don't know much about TCM. Sorry, traditional Chinese medicine, but that yin and yang thing is wrong. See? Whoops. There are five elements that represent different systems in the body wood, fire, earth, metal, and water and the proper interaction between those systems is how a body stays healthy. Oh, okay, interesting, thanks for that. So, yeah, balance. Okay, so the other god that we see mentioned in the carvings on the south walls here and over here is Narcath, the god of death and exile. And I'm really not sure how to think about that. Imagine you were sick, and you don't know why, and you go see the doctor, and he's got like a framed poster of the Grim Reaper on his wall next to his diploma. That would be not good, right? Definitely would not inspire confidence. I don't know about you, but I think I'd say, hey doc, I'm feeling a lot better. So I'll see ya, I'm good. Um, But alternately, we could be looking at death from a completely different view than in Terrans did. We know that exile, removal from the community, was likened to death. I'm thinking that it may also be the primary sin, right? So if sickness is something that is caused by a sin and the ultimate sin is exile or death or disassociation from the community, then that would make sense why Narcath is mentioned. So being part of the community, part of Antera, is the thing that separates order from chaos. And remember, outside the city walls, it was wild and dangerous, especially if you were on your own. Then wouldn't creating separation from the group be the greatest sin? So imagine all the fights that you've had with your parents, your siblings, your friends. You may not be old enough to have had people completely ghost you, or, or maybe you have. We all go through that at some point a relationship that gets so bent that it just makes more sense to cut and run. But I I think in Antara, this was unacceptable. It was the equivalent of murder, and it was the cause of sickness, and that's why Narcath, the god of death and exile, is a presence in medicine in Third Empire, Antara. Okay. That's it for today. You have a lot of reading this week, so try to stay on top of it. Yeah? All right. Thanks, everybody. Oh, hey, hi, Ron. Do you have my keys? Thank you. Hey, when I was in there, you got a phone message. Wasn't trying to pry or anything, but your son called. Julie? I think you said Jules. Yeah. Yeah, it's Jules. Sorry, he he goes by Jules. Huh. I didn't know you had kids. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, complicated. It's none of my business. Well, be thankful for that. Browser secure. Connecting. Browser secure. Connected. Recording. Hey, it's me. I got a message from Jules. I haven't called back yet. Uh, I know he hates my guts, so I'm not sure why he's calling. Look, is there anything I should know? Is he in trouble? Do they know that we have a son, June? Recording stopped. Encryption complete. Message sent. Goodbye. of thought in interran literature. This podcast is made possible by Harbridge University, a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the Peeler Prize in Archaeological Literature, and the Harbridge Family Trust, with an in-kind donation and production assistance from Wolf of the Door Studios. For more information and a reading list, please visit ModesOfThoughtPodcast.com. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Mount Absalom. A community, a heritage, a home. The green jewel in the majestic crown of Ohio, for 200 years, Mount Absalom has been a place to play. N32. Bingo! A place to learn. For in thy green and growing arms, we have everything we need. All right. Now, let's get out our math homework. A place to work. Here at the Solery Bottling Works, we produce over 2,000 bottles of celery soda every day. A place to raise a family. It's a girl. It's a place of history. And here we have the barrel of whiskey that Confederate soldiers stole from Mount Absalom Patriot Amelia Pleasance during Morgan's Raid. And of course, a place... Of celery. 201st Celery Festival, I dub thee Open! Yeah. Mount Absalom is the perfect place for making memories. 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 Paid for by the Delphi Order of Mount Absalom and Celeric Bottling Works. Refreshing Celeric Soda and Dye Celeric Soda. <sighs> Unwell, a Midwestern gothic mystery. Learn more at unwellpodcast.com